I think having a growth mindset and really being resilient, the ability to be flexible, to learn and to adapt, to communicate and to be empathetic, I think those are the differentiating skills. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company, and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. My guest in this episode is Deb Wheelock. She's an expert when it comes to talent management, and as a self-proclaimed neuroscience geek, it helps her truly understand employees and knowing the right way to handle their emotions and their work ethic. She says, it's important to be direct in order to get the most out of employees, but it's also crucial to create the right environment so employees can focus on being their best without worrying about external factors they just can't control. Let's dive right in. Deb Wheelock, I want to welcome you to the show. I'm sure this is going to be very dry. We're probably not going to have any fun, and I'm sure nobody's <laughs> going to learn anything. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I don't uh, think that'll be the case. All right, let's see. We will see. When you and I first connected, I immediately just loved your energy, loved your disposition, and was really excited that you were able to come on so quickly. So this is going to be some fun. I got lots of questions for you. So get ready to, to saddle in. You ready? Okay, absolutely. Let's All right. go. All right. Tell me about your the backdrop that you chose on LinkedIn. So the you're talking about the picture. Yeah. Yeah, the picture and then the back. So that is actually from the Greenwich Audubon. Well, I should say my family is very outdoorsy. I am not naturally outdoorsy because the bugs really, really love me. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. I've got that sweet blood. Yeah. But that is from one of our many, many family hikes at the Greenwich Audubon. Yeah, it's just such a beautiful picture, and it's. Well, thank uh, you. Yeah, I am an amateur photographer, so thank you very much. Oh, nice. All right, because I, I was just going to start going into some of the uh, angles, and I'd actually sent it to somebody who does take uh, pictures because she does a lot of outdoor pictures too, and she commented, so I had to oh, ask. Oh, lovely! No, oh, <laughs> that's wonderful to hear. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. So, what do you do to stay sharp mentally, especially these days? So I am a lifelong learner, and I am especially interested in neuroscience. I am a bit of a brain geek, I've been told, but I'm really interested in uh, a wide variety of subjects. So I subscribe to a number of digest-type newsletters, and I'm a big podcast listener. 
which is kind of how I found you. And I read a lot. That's a beautiful thing. So we're going to have to talk more offline about the whole neuroscience thing. I was involved in a, a capital raise for a neuroscience company. I'm, I'm a big fan as well. So we, we've got oh, lots to talk that. about. We could do a show just on that. I'm fascinated in that yeah. area as well. I'll keep moving because otherwise we will <laughs> okay. go down. We will yes. go down a rabbit hole. Yeah, <laughs> um, absolutely. <laughs> tell me three things that have happened to you over the last week that you're thankful for. So I have ramped up my networking recently, and I've been reconnecting with old friends and colleagues and meeting lots of new people. And I'm really grateful for the technology to virtually connect with other people. Secondly, my mom is in an assisted living facility, and I was able to visit her live yesterday. They're they're allowing visits outside, Mm -hmm. six feet apart, wearing a mask. But she has Alzheimer's, so it's really important to have her keep connecting with family. And and I'm really grateful that things have gotten better. She's actually in New Jersey. I'm in Connecticut. And so we're abiding by all the rules, but we were able to visit her in person, which was wonderful. Can I interject on that before you go to three? Yeah, of course. So so first and foremost, I'm really sorry to hear about what you're dealing with on a lot of levels. Uh, Alzheimer's, I, I just can't even fathom the mm. challenges of that. And I have, when we're done, I'm going to put you in touch with somebody that wrote a book on how uh, she helps people that were dealing. She had two family members that like back to back went mm. through Alzheimer's, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's. One had, not exactly sure the differences, I forgot, but might be someone to talk to. Yeah. And I'm happy to hear that you were able to see that my uh, mother and my father-in-law had a stroke recently and he is, he's getting signs of that. And it's so hard. The hardest part is not being able to, this happened, he got it during COVID. Yeah. So yeah. Not being able oh, to it's, I've, yeah, I've seen a huge change, unfortunately. I think the isolation is not good for anybody, no. but I think for people who the short-term memory is really the challenge. And so it's, yeah, it's been hard. It's been hard. But thank you. So I would say thirdly, it sounds a little trite, but I'm really grateful for my family living both near and far. And for a lot of people, we've all been spending more time with our family, right, over the last few months. And and I'm really grateful for that. That's a beautiful thing. So I want to transition over to work now. Sure. (laughs) If you weren't in uh, the world of HR, what do you think you'd be doing? I would think I would still be involved in teaching in some way, whether that would be K through 12 or at the university level. When I started college, I thought I wanted to be a teacher at the preschool level or worked with some kind of early childhood education. So I think I would still be doing some kind of teaching or maybe executive coaching or some other role in the corporate world that would allow me to organize large scale projects or events. And what is your area of professional expertise? So I've worked in HR for more than 20 years, and my specialty is global talent management. I've managed teams all over the world and created centers of expertise for talent management at each of the companies I've worked for. And those centers of expertise focus on the design and the development of most of the talent life cycle. So talent acquisition, development, career, 
performance management, leadership development, succession planning, diversity inclusion, and employee engagement. So I don't have to fire anyone and I don't figure out anyone's compensation. (laughs) I do everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a preference in terms of how human resources is referred to, whether it's human capital or human resources? You know, I don't have a strong feeling about labels, but I probably prefer human capital because capital is the language of business. You always hear CEOs or company websites refer to their people as their most important asset. And I do believe that the people make or break the success of any business. And so the investment or the management of that asset is and should be, I think, treated as a a key business metric. You think about finance, right? The finance function of a company deals with managing the financial resources of the company, but we don't call it financial resources. It might be weird to call our function human, (laughs) although I could live with human assets. (laughs) And more and more you hear the function being referred to as people, right? So there's a chief people officer. You see that role a lot more alongside chief human resources officer. So anyway, I like human capital because I think it's a term that people understand and it has the right focus. I agree. And it's really interesting. So I was on a webinar a couple of weeks back and I'd mentioned the human capital and I was told by a company they did a big, huge focus group in that human resources actually preferred over human capital. But what was really interesting, there's almost 100 people on this webinar and nobody, nobody on the webinar preferred human resources. Everybody preferred human <laughs> capital. So go figure on that one. So yeah. in my opinion, the jury's still out. Yeah. Yep. So you, I mean, in, in your 10 year or 20 year, sorry to do that to you. That's uh, okay. <laughs> you've uh, come across some amazing people. You've worked with amazing people. You've had some really interesting experiences. And in your opinion, what do you think some of the top performers do differently than the average workers? And are there common threads? I think having a growth mindset And really being resilient, the ability to be flexible, to learn and to adapt, to communicate and to be empathetic, I think those are the differentiating skills. I've had the pleasure of working in organizations where everyone is brilliant by and large. So people are coming with their technical expertise and it's really invigorating to work alongside people that are the best at what they do. But I think when you are looking at what's that that top talent portfolio within a company, I think it's those intangibles or those other critical skills that really help you differentiate. You made me so happy because you didn't call them the soft skills. Hate that term. (laughs) Me me too. I refer to them as the durability skills or the career insurance skills. And and it's nice to hear you essentially reinforce that. Why do you not care for the term soft skills? 
Unfortunately, the word soft doesn't have a, a good connotation in the business world. Although in our personal lives, we love things that are soft. Good point. But I think it's like the conversation we just had on human resources or human capital. We There are words that just connote in our mind a type or a degree of excellence. And soft just isn't... <laughs> one of those words. And I think when we talk about what differentiates people, what allows the people that work in our companies to create the environment where everyone can do their best, those are really essential and they're business critical. And I think with everything that's happening in the world today, I think the human capital function is having a moment. I think business is really starting to understand that. Very much so. It's so interesting. And just to that point, there's never been a better time to be in this world of human capital or human resources, however yeah. you want to refer to it. Because yeah. kind of business itself has kind of been put on hold first because you're having to realize the mo- like, like what you said even earlier, the most important facet of an organization are the people. Well, if you if your people are in jeopardy in some some way, shape, or form, uh, company's not going to do well. So first and foremost, at the helm of everything is their safety, whether their their health, their mental health, which is important. Sure. So this is huge. So it's good to hear how important some of these, again, what's going on from an HR perspective, and also how important these other skill sets are. So how important is the EQ from your perspective, especially in your the function of human capital? I think you won't be surprised to hear me say, I think it's critical. Depending on which study you look at, at any one time, 30% or more of U.S. employees are open to or willing to jump roles. So the importance of creating that environment where people feel heard, where there isn't an environment of fear for making mistakes, for understanding that the person sitting opposite you, I was going to say in a meeting room, but I guess across a Zoom uh, <laughs> Zoom call, may have a whole host of things going on that you don't understand. And that may be causing them to react to you in a certain way. All of these things and the ability of managers especially to to be in the right state of mind to deal with that is so important. I mean, going back to my brain geekiness, there have been studies where they have hooked people up to functional MRIs to detect which parts of the brain fire under different conditions. And even if you don't know anything about neuroscience, I'm sure you've heard the sympathetic nerve system, which is that fight or flight, Mm -hmm. and then the parasympathetic nerve system, which is where you rest and digest. If you're in the fight or flight or freeze, sometimes it's called, if you're in that mode, you cannot learn, you cannot process information, and you certainly can't be as productive as you should be. So being able to create the environment where people can do their best. I think it's really important. And and really most of my career has really been focused on helping managers develop those skills. They have to understand when they're communicating 
with someone one-on-one or, or with a team that even the way you're talking to someone will make a huge difference in what they can digest and, and take away. Oh my God, is there so much behind what you just <laughs> talked about? <laughs> and I'm going to introduce you to somebody when we're off that you're going to really connect with them. I'm excited to make this this connection. It's from, Great. again, getting back to the neuroscience uh, part of things because yeah. you really, you nailed it. It's so important to be able to communicate with people and to understand them and to be self-aware. Just huge, just huge on, on so many levels. That's a whole lot. We could have a whole podcast on that topic too. Yeah. You know, on, on why that's so important. What about, how, how does it relate to having like a high EQ from a diversity standpoint? Well, it's very related. So Going back to what I said about those MRIs, similar studies have been done where when someone feels excluded, it actually activates the same part of the brain that it fires when you're under physical pain. So if you are oblivious to that, you are really missing a huge part of your employee's experience and therefore their contribution. So this idea of inclusion, which of course is really being played out on a global stage at the moment, is something that's, it's not new, but I think it's getting, it's getting more coverage. And I think people are understanding that not only is it the right thing to do from a human perspective, but it has a direct correlation to to the success of a, a community that exists in a business. So so important. And just so you know, I've been connect. I've been hooked up multiple times on uh, these fMRIs. And, and oh, cool! Through, and oh, been, I want to hear about that. Yeah. So I've I've gone through some of these experience. Nothing to do with from a diversity directly, mm. but just mm-hmm. certain stresses, certain questions. I've I've gone through these and I've been able to see the maps, and it's really interesting and powerful to see. So. It's so great to hear from an HR perspective or human capital perspective to hear someone that really understands this and why this is so important from a scientific standpoint. I mean, it's just, it's hard to argue when you look at the science and you look at the data and then, you know, where that translates, if you can kind of roll that out and extrapolate that from numerous people. So I I think that's fantastic. Why, let's talk about communication and, and why is it so important to be a good communicator and how does this high level of EQ complement or help that? Yeah. When people talk about communication, they immediately often think about what you say and what you write, but communication is also about listening. And I was a very chatty young person and (laughs) I remember my mother always said, you have two ears and one mouth, please use them in proportion. And yeah, but I do think the ability to actively listen and listen to understand, not listen to respond, is not something that everyone knows how to do well. Luckily, it's something we can learn. And when you're in HR, certainly the type of communications that come out from our function 
generally tend to really affect employees' lives. So whether it's about policy or compliance-related items, or whether you're providing coaching advice on growing a career or how to manage a performance issue, you need to be clear and you need to be direct, but you also have to listen as much as you talk. And so I think for HR, it's absolutely an essential skill. Yeah. So I'll tell you, I'm sure this is probably something you already know, but maybe those that aren't are familiar with the Moravian's Law of Communication. Have you ever heard of that? I have heard of that. Yes. Do you want me to kind of expand on it just for those who, who aren't as familiar? Sure. And correct me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while since I've read about this, but communicate, I, I can't agree with you more about the listening part. And I'm always trying to work on that myself. And this will forever be a battle, but that's another story. Moravian's law, <laughs> it's the law of communication. That's it's, uh, it's otherwise known as the 738.55 rule, which his work or his research came down and identified that really a fraction of our communication is indeed our words. So it's, it's 7%. Yeah, and that's yeah, the yeah. 7. 38% of our communication is the tonality. So how we are communicating, the voice, the pitch, things of, of that nature, the rhythm in which we talk is that as accounts for 38%. And then the other 55% is our body language. And mm-hmm. that is so important that, you know, what you're, so again, the words are only 7%. So that's why sometimes it's really tough when people communicate just via, via text. So thank goodness for emojis because they help a little <laughs> bit. That's know? right. That's um, right. You know? But body language, really people that are on a subconscious level are picking up on, are you engaged? Are you listening? And the listening part is yeah. so important, especially when you are in person because there's nothing more offensive to somebody than you're not giving their attention. That's like one of the most offensive things that you can do is just to like, that's why a lot of people carry guns actually, ironically enough in the, I hate to say the hood, but in the hood, because when you have a gun and you bring it to somebody that you have their attention. So people love that. And I know I'm I'm going off on a tangent here, Wow. but it's very interesting to me, but getting back to communicating, you got to listen and then you do, it is really important to understand that Moravian's rule. All right. I'm sorry. I'm going to go off my soapbox first. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. So you, in your role, the roles that you've had, the people that you've managed, I know you love what you do and it's really fun, but I've got to assume you've had to have some pretty difficult conversations. How has this skill set, these quote unquote softer skills, and we hate that term, and how have they benefited you and and how can it benefit other people to develop this skill set so they can have some of those difficult conversations? I mean, Adam, listen, I don't know anyone who loves having difficult conversations. I mean, maybe there are a few people who just have that kind of twisted view of life, but you know, they're hard, right? They're hard. And There's really a couple things. First of all, when I know I have to have a difficult conversation, it's you have to be prepared because you don't want to be thinking about what you're going to say all the time. You want to be really actively listening to what the other person is saying. And part of that active listening is paraphrasing and, and reflecting back what you're hearing from the other person. If the conversation is difficult because you have to give constructive feedback, 
And and I do think that's really hard for, for many people to do, including myself. You can prepare and you can practice, but ultimately having that direct candor with respect, I think is the best way to go. There was a TED Talk with Kim Scott. She worked for Sheryl Sandberg and she talked about how she got some very direct feedback from Sheryl Sandberg and it was pretty blunt, Mm. but she realized that if Sheryl would have continued to sort of dance around the feedback she was trying to give her, it would have really hurt her career. And it's, yeah, if you search for it, I think it's brutal, radical candor, radical candor. Kim Scott is the person. Great story, but essentially her manager tried to give her some feedback by making suggestions on how she can improve. And she was sort of blowing it off. And then her boss basically said, when you say um all the time, you sound stupid. (laughs) So that really resonated with me, as I was saying. Now I'm going to be very conscious of every time I say that. <laughs> but the, the ability, I, I think nobody loves to be on the receiving end of uh, difficult feedback, but hearing something honestly that's delivered in, auth- in an authentic way, I think is the best way to have a conversation that isn't easy. I agree with you. I think you're doing them a favor when you're having those kinds of conversations. It might not be easy. It might not be comfortable. I'll tell you, I don't know if you're familiar with who Ray Dalio is. He's the, mm-hmm. um, you yep. know, for those that aren't, he's the, the CEO. Or actually, he might have even retired. But anyways, he started Bridgewater, which is the largest hedge fund in the world. And the whole premise, it, 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 people call it a cult, but it's essentially a, a, a culture of radical candor, what, what you're talking mm-hmm. about, but almost in your face. And yes. It's fascinating and it's interesting. The guy is a, a genius and I've listened to some so many of his interviews and it's hard to argue. I think the difficulty, and I don't want anyone to be confused by the two things that I've talked about because I think, I like the word radical candor versus brutal candor, but you can use that technique as long as you are practicing empathy as well. So at the end of the conversation, the person needs to feel that they've learned something, that you have been as honest as you can with them, but that you also understand their perspective, Mm. that you've practiced empathy while you're having the conversation. That's a great point. That's a really, really good point. Um, Um, as I say, um, (laughs) (laughs) I know, right (laughs) now we're going to be very focused on that. (laughs) I had a a manager one time that was very radical with me. And and every time that I said, what not, and this is over 20 years ago, but he Mm -hmm. would just repeat it. He, and he brought it to my attention. So if I was, Oh, you know, Hey Deb and and whatnot and whatnot. And and I knew it came from a good place. And Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, I got so sick of hearing myself. And you realize that, and it worked. I, I extracted that from my uh, vocab immediately. Yeah. So, so we're getting a little tight on time. I got a couple quick questions sure. for you that I'd, I'd love to pick your brain on. If you could go back in time and give yourself professional advice, what would it be? I think I would not, it would be not to worry so much about 
what others will think. I actually dialed in Amazon, had a career day yesterday, virtual career day, and they had Karamo Brown was on, and Karamo Brown was on Queer Eye, the series Queer Eye. And my old next door neighbor was the, anyways, keep going, sorry. That's okay. (laughs) But he mentioned, I, I actually wrote this down because I just loved it. He said, comparison is the thief of joy. Mm. And you're going to progress in your career at your own pace. And if you say something in a meeting that isn't the most brilliant thing, it's not the end of the world. So I think it's some of it is confidence that you just gain as you become more experienced. But I think early on in my career, I think I was very quiet at meetings. I was concerned if I wasn't progressing at the same rate as some of my friends in different companies. And at the end of the day, you look back at, at it now and you say, what does it matter? I've had an amazing career and got to work with brilliant, funny people and I'm happy. So. I've been amazingly successful. That's great. I love that. And I think I love it even more because my kids have been saying, I'm the thief of joy. So now I can tell them that it's actually comparison to the thief of joy. <laughs> you love kids. <laughs> <laughs> They're radically candor. There you go. There you go. <laughs> oh my God. Deb, this has been a lot of fun. I knew it would be. You delivered, exceeded expectations. You know, thank you for sharing your story, sharing your insights, a lot of takeaways from my perspective. I mean, my God, the two ears, uh, one mouth, it never gets old. The importance of it really just doesn't. It's real. There is a biological reason, you know, uh, you know, behind that, all of those skills that you talked about, the importance of the, these uh, social skills, the persuasion, the emotional intelligence and teaching others. This is something that's in demand now more than ever, as there's a new generation of leaders that weren't properly, they haven't gone through the proper channels yet and they, they haven't been trained. So they need that help as a lot of the baby boomers are retiring. It's an essential technical skill that's, that is technical, even though it's quote unquote not, I guess. Yeah. I was talking to someone in the last couple of weeks and he said, this was Sean O'Toole. He said, the badges and artifacts of your technical expertise are not the things that are going to be differentiating for you. And and I think he's right. I I think you need your technical expertise and companies need technical expertise to advance their business and their strategy, but it's not enough. You need that, but the ability to marshal your essential skills. So the essence of what makes us human is what organizations have always needed, but I think now more than ever, it's really important. And you nailed it. Deb, thanks for making today happen. Thanks so much, Adam. It really had fun. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to networkwise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise. Network